0: G'day, sports fans. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Buy Fry podcast. Slightly delayed SBF pod, uh, mainly due to a Blink 182 induced hangover from Thursday night. Back now, post NBA trade deadline. Going to spend 30 30- on every NBA team. The deadline was a bit of a dud. There were a lot of rumored trades. Some of them came to fruition, but they were mainly role players or secondary pieces moving around. We didn't get a DeJounte Murray, moving teams, any player of that ilk. But there were a couple of moves that I think mattered. So I'm going to whiz through all 30 teams, give every uh, NBA fan base a little bit of a shine, touch on a couple of AFL fantasy things at the top. There's not a lot going on at the moment, all the match uh, simulations, intra-club games, whatever you want to call them, pracky hit-outs. A lot of them are taking place this weekend. Maybe early next week, I'll recap a couple of those bits and pieces. But today's podcast... The... uh the NBA trade deadline bits and pieces, and then I think I'll go through a couple of my favorite Super Bowl bets, because we're only a couple of days away from Super Bowl 58, the Chiefs will be playing the Niners on Monday morning, and there's a couple of uh, wages that I've invested in that I think could uh, pay off handsomely, so here we go, let's not waste any more time. Before I get into the NBA stuff, like I said, there's not a lot to report on AFL fantasy wise, but I am popping on. Uh, The Twitter Spaces with Bales and Timmy Guest tomorrow. I think it's about 4.30 in the Arvo. So you can check that out on Twitter. If you want to fire a rookie question through, do that before tomorrow Arvo. But I'll be back next week to talk all AFL fantasy bits and pieces. But as I said, the trade deadline's done now. NBA teams can't make any more trades until the off season. So most of the rosters that we can see, teams are intact. They're not going to be making wholesale changes. There's a few buyout players that, Maybe can move the needle slightly, but most of the wheeling and dealing is done. So let's just roll through the East and then the Western Conference in uh, standings order. So the Boston Celtics right at the top, they made some pretty savvy moves in my opinion. They're still clearly the favorites in the Eastern Conference. And I think that they'll hold that title until uh, the playoffs arrive and they deserve to have that title. I loved the addition of Xavier Tillman for them, gives them another big body, a bit more assurance behind uh, Al Horford as well. They did trade for Jaden Springer and they lost uh, Delano Banton. I think his name is, but I don't think those moves are going to matter a lot, but Boston, they've got a clear gap on the rest of the Eastern conference teams. And I think that they'll hold that spot for the rest of the regular season. The Cleveland Cavaliers, they're sitting second right now. The longest winning streak in the league at eight. They've won 17 of their last 18. So you can understand why they didn't make a lot of moves. There was some rumors maybe Isaac Okoro would be on the move or other bits and pieces like that might get switched. Like I said, some role players potentially, but no, nah, they've stood pat and I'm kind of glad. Evan Mobley's looking all right in his return. Darius Garland's still looking a bit rusty, but Mobley's taken and making some threes, which uh, encourages me. The Milwaukee Bucks, they made some minor moves. They essentially swapped Pat Bev for Cameron Payne, which I think is honestly a little bit of a mini upgrade. Pat Bev does love to hype up the fan base. And I think that his uh, team in the playoffs can get you a third of a win, maybe half or we'll have to wait and see if that actually is a noteworthy addition for the bucks. They did lose Robin Lopez though, which means the low twins have been split up, which makes me sad, but I still think the bucks are easily going to finish with home court advantage in the Eastern conference. Okay. The big probably sexy pick is the winners of the trade deadline, were the New York Knicks. Now they went out and got Alec Burks, and Boyan Bogdanovich from the Detroit Pistons. And they didn't have to give up a first either. So essentially they've grabbed those two blokes. They brought in Precious Achua and OG Ananobi as well. We know about the injury issues that's going on with Mitchell Robinson. Maybe he'll get back this season or not, but JLo made a good point in saying that they don't really have a superstar. And No offense to Jalen Brunson. He's still a great player, but we'll have to wait and see just how far he can drive them. I've Had my doubts about Julius Randle for years and I don't think that he's a a winning type player. So getting all those pieces without giving up a first is great and now they've got great depth, but let's just see how far the Knicks can go because I I have a lot of optimism surrounding them, but it might just turn out to be the fact that they're a second-tier contender in the Eastern Conference, but watch this space. Philadelphia, 76ers were active as well. I did like the addition of Buddy Heald and I think regardless of how Joel Embiid comes back this year, we're not getting the same JoJo. I think that uh, we've seen Embiid's numbers drop off in the playoffs as well. So it's a shame. It's not exactly a wasted year, but if they can roll out a starting five next season with Tyrese Maxey, Buddy Heald, maybe Kelly Oubre Jr. stays and he's on a wing spot, Tobias Harris at the four and Embiid at the five with then Batum, Melton, Paul Reed. maybe they get another piece off the bench. Things could be worse. So it's a bummer that Philly have so many injuries going on at the moment. But we'll have to wait and see where their seeding lands playoff-wise before I uh, predict too much. The Indiana Pacers, they obviously made a few minor moves on deadline day, but their big deal was trading for Pascal Siakam. And the buzz doesn't go away about Paul George returning to Indiana in the offseason. If we see the Clippers struggle, maybe there's a reunion and PG Goes back to Indiana. But regardless, I think that they made the smart move. They weren't going to probably pay Buddy Hield pass this year. So trading him for something is better than nothing. And they got in shooters like Corkmars and McDermott to at least slightly fill the void there. Uh, Miami, they're sitting seventh at the moment. So the first of the play-in teams. Their big move obviously was getting Terry Rozier a couple of weeks ago. Still can't sleep on them. They're half a game behind the paces for a guaranteed spot in the playoffs. And we know that Jimmy Butler right now is just in his hyperbaric time chamber, just waiting for April until he puts a Superman cape on. So we saw them nearly get eliminated in the play-in last year, and then they went on to make the NBA finals. So I will not be counting out the heat. I don't know if they can get out of the play-in mix, but as we saw, like I said last year, didn't matter. Orlando... I'm disappointed they didn't take a swing. I'll be honest. I know their entire core is virtually under the age of 25 and they're obviously not in a hurry, but they could have maybe packaged something like a Markel Fultz with Gary Harris and a pick or two to get someone like Dejounte Murray. That was a a dream scenario I put forth. But I think that regardless of if they're in the play-in or they make it the top six, I think they'll be one of the eight playoff teams in the West. And I'd love to see France and Polo take a... Uh, center stage when the uh, NBA playoffs do begin the Chicago bulls behind them. These guys are quite the opposite. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. Uh, there obviously wasn't a lot that they could get in return for their pieces. So I can see maybe why they didn't want to pull the trigger on a Drummond Caruso, DeMarta Rosen trade, but they're now stuck really in the worst place you want to be in the NBA. And that's the middle. So I think that they, they want to try and keep this group together and contend, but maybe they'll win a playoff. Play in game or two and make the playoffs, but I don't have a lot of optimism around them. The Atlanta Hawks, who are 10th, just a couple of games behind them, obviously the big story for them was keeping DeJounte Murray. It seems like the offers were out there, but they were quite poor. So, whatever, I don't mind if you're the Atlanta Hawks and you decided that it wasn't worth trading him. And to be honest, if I was running Atlanta, I would give serious consideration to keeping Murray with all their young, other budding players. I like a Kongwu. I love Jalen Johnson. They've got some other nice pieces in DeJounte. DeAndre Hunter, uh, a couple of other bits and pieces. Capella's a nice asset. Maybe they just blow it up somewhat, trade Trey Young for a boatload this offseason, and then they can kind of retool their uh, franchise. But they're destined to go probably 37 and 45, so you can probably switch off now. Hawks fans, the Brooklyn Nets, they're just outside of the play-in mix. They made a couple of, again, moves around the edges. I think that for them, swapping Spencer Dinwiddie for Dennis Schroeder is definitely an upgrade, and they got some seconds in a Royce O'Neal trade as well. But as I said in the last podcast episode, that franchise confuses me. So they can't really embrace a traditional tank because they don't own all their picks. So trading Mikael Bridges away is probably not a manoeuvre. Um, but yeah, maybe they'll revisit that in the off season. We'll have to wait and see. The Toronto Raptors, they were the most active team from the start of the regular season to deadline day. They had a complete blow-up. They traded away eight dudes, essentially traded away half of their core with Siakam, Adanobi, uh, Schroeder, Preston Chua, a vet like Thad Young, but they got some good bits back, right? RJ Barrett seems like he's going to be a nice scoring punch for the Raptors. Emmanuel Quickly is going to definitely take a bit of a step up in production. Spencer Dinwiddie, it's going to get waived. Seems like the Lakers or the Mavericks are going to pick him up, but Bruce Brown, a couple of firsts. Detroit's uh, second rounder this year, which will probably be the 31st pick. A 2026 20, first from Indiana. I think that they did all right in the returns they got. They also got Kelly Olenek and Ochai Abaji, a one-time Cav. Shout out to uh, the Kansas product, but I think that it was smart for Toronto to kind of blow it up get all these young pieces, see what fits around Scotty Barnes and which other young guys that they think are part of their core for the future. And they, like I said, got a couple of draft picks that can help uh, retool their roster into the future. The Charlotte Hornets actually did some stuff. There's been talk of some of these blokes that got traded being dealt for years, but PJ Washington got moved. Uh, George, George Gordon Hayward is obviously now on the thunder. Terry Rozier went a couple of weeks ago. The return is a bit iffy. I mean, Trey Mann is probably the best piece that they got back. Uh, say what you want about Kyle Lowry. He's probably going to get bought out. Hasn't been playing great either. Seth Curry, maybe he gets bought out. they got a pair of second rounders and a pair of firsts in the deals as well. And I think they deserve credit for kind of picking a lane, right? They could have just kept paying Hayward, paying Rozier, paying PJ Washington, but they've dealt these dudes away. Brendan Miller's starting to look like a star. So they now have the picks that they can potentially help form a competent team around him and LaMelo Ball should they decide to keep him as well. The Washington Wizards, might be the most inept franchise in the entire NBA. The Daniel Gafford trade really confused me. I know that they got uh, Oklahoma City's first round pick this year, but that'll probably be in the late 20s. I can't see them going on a bit of a slide. Rashawn Holmes is definitely a downgrade for Gafford. So if you're going to trade a dude like that, who probably had real value on the trade market, I reckon if you had have said out there that uh, Rashawn Holmes in a first round is all it's going to take to get Gafford, there would have been other teams that pick up the phone, but... Yeah, whatever. The Wizards are probably destined to finish in the bottom four in the league. And uh, hey, maybe Jordan Poole will refind his mojo. Glass half full, right? Uh, Detroit Pistons, the last team in the East. They tried. And if Zach Levine didn't get hurt, then I think that they would have been a team that he might have joined. But obviously, as I said, Burks and Bogdanovich are out now. So there is a couple of extra minutes that'll free up for some of their younger dudes. I did like the addition of uh, Grimes and Fontecchio from the Utah Jazz. I don't know if these guys will be uh, championship level players for the Detroit Pistons. But Fontecchio in particular, he's a 28-year-old, a but he's a nice 3 and D type who I think can really help them this season. And they probably want to avoid NBA history uh, by setting a terrible record. And they've already probably done that by winning a handful of their last couple. I think they've won four of their last 10 off the dome. But yeah, I digress. The Detroit Pistons are kind of where they are. Maybe they'll revisit the Zach Levine trade in the offseason. Who knows? All right, let's go out West and there's a bit of a log jam at the top four, but your one seed if the season ended today would be the Minnesota Timberwolves. They said all along they wanted to get a backup point guard. They got Monte Morris. I would have loved to see Tyus Jones go there, but you know, Morris is still great. I think great's a stretch, but when he's been playing, I had a lot of uh, Monte Morris stock when he was at Denver. He's been banged up with the Pistons, so maybe he can give the T-Wolves a bit of a punch off the bench. Still have some questions about how they can close games and Carl Anthony Towns does worry me as a uh, potential player in the playoffs, but shout out to the Timberwolves, what they've done so far. They are half a game ahead of the two seed Oklahoma city thunder, who, as I said, went out and got Gordon Hayward kind of confused me that they went for a wing over a big player. There was a lot of buzz around how they needed to get some more depth in their big man stocks behind Chet Holmgren. And I know that they've got uh, Jalen Williams too. Cause Jalen Williams one is obviously the guard version, a much better player, but I think that Hayward does fit their team perfectly. He's a versatile shooter can play the two, three, four. He's brings some postseason experience as well. He's had a couple of cups of coffee in the playoffs. He won at college as well when he was with Butler. Maybe they look at the buyout market for a big, but I don't hate the idea of getting another veteran into your group of budding young stars. Uh, it doesn't move the needle a ton, but I think that adding someone like Hayward can only benefit them in the long run. Uh, The LA Clippers, they made their big move when they went out and got James Harden about a month ago. Uh, And they're kind of the Cleveland of the West. They've won 26 of their last 32 since early December. They weren't able to facilitate a trade for PJ Tucker or Bones Highland, but I don't think that really matters. Health is going to be the only thing that slows the Clippers down. And I'm very intrigued to see how they look Once the playoffs arise, because if they have their core four healthy and they've got Zubat to run in the middle, then I think the Clippers can make a genuine run at winning the Western Conference. Uh, The Denver Nuggets, your four seed today. They were the second seed uh, this morning, but a loss to the Kings has moved them from two to four, which kind of just highlights how close the top four is in the Western Conference. They would have loved to add another guy. They were linked to DeLon Wright from the Wizards. They're capped a little bit by the fact that they're a first apron team as well. So, for example, if Kyle Lowry gets bought out because his salary was over $12 million, they can't sign him. But this team is kind of coasting right now. And we saw them do this towards the end of last regular season. And then they flicked the switch and they were able to win the chip. So, I'm not worried about Denver at all. It'll just uh, be a matter of kind of getting through the rest of the season healthy uh, for the Nuggets. A couple of games separate the top four and the rest, but the Phoenix Suns are your five seed as of today. They actually made some pretty savvy moves in my opinion. They added David Roddy from the Grizzlies. They went out and got Rose O'Neill from the Nets as well, which isn't nothing considering the fact that we were concerned about their depth at the start of the season, but I kind of like their one through seven, one through eight now. And I don't know if it's enough to beat some of the aforementioned Western conference teams, but I would not be shocked if Booker and Durant and Beal steered these guys to a West finals appearance. So We'll have to wait and see where their seeding does land. Cause I think that'll be a factor come playoff time, but they're starting to round into form now sitting at 31 and 21. The last of the locked in top six teams out West are the Sacramento King, Kings. They're another team that I thought might've overpaid to try and climb the West pecking order. They traded for Lopez. Who's going to be bored out. So they're kind of left just relying on however far Darren Fox and DeMonte Sabonis are going to steer them. And they had an epic playoff series against golden state last year I think that they're kind of destined for a similar fate this year. Maybe they get over the hump and win a playoff round, and they're another team that the seeding and the matchups will matter. But I can't see them winning multiple rounds and upsetting some of the uh, aforementioned teams in the West. And New Orleans Pelicans, who I spoke about in the last episode, they were rumored to make a run at Dejounte Murray, even Mikal Bridges, which would have obviously changed things a bits and pieces, but. Don't get me wrong the Pelicans are deep. I love a lot of their players but I don't love the fit they have together. It would be cool to see them in a matchup maybe with like the Sacramento Kings but given the way that the seeding looks I can't see both of those squads finishing 4 and 5 respectively. They're probably going to go as far as a healthy Zion takes them but yeah, I have my doubts around the NOLA Pelicans. The Dallas Mavericks they were one of the most active teams on deadline day and I actually like the pieces they got. They obviously flicked Grant Williams out. He couldn't really find his niche in Dallas and there were a lot of off court, uh, not issues cause he didn't really have an issue, but it sounded like he wasn't meshing with the rest of the team. So instead they added PJ Washington from Charlotte, who I think is a great get versatile forward who can give them a bit of a scoring punch, something that they were hoping Grant Williams can be, but they didn't really have. And then the big win was getting Daniel Gafford. Now, whether he's a starter and Derek Lively comes off the bench or vice versa, I don't think it's a bad idea to have an athletic big who can block shots, rebound, convert shots at a high clip. He might only get you 10 to 12 points a night, but they might all be easy dunks at the rim once Luka or Kyrie gets double teamed. Speaking of Kyrie, it's also worth pointing out that he's only played in 30 of their 52 games so far this season, and they're half a dozen games above 500, but if we look up come playoff time and they're a four or five seed, I would not be shocked. This group has to do it now because after all this wheeling and dealing, they're essentially out of draft assets. So, watch this space. I will not be surprised if uh, Dallas does make somewhat of a surge up the uh, standings. The Los Angeles Lakers are next. They're stuck without a major move, and you have to wonder how they're going to fare to end the year. We know that last year they made a run to the Western Conference Finals. LeBron James is LeBron James, and Anthony Davis was giving Jokic. I don't want to say fits, but he probably did the best out of any player defending yoke in the playoffs. So if they have those two healthy, they can cause some havoc. It seems like Spencer Dinwiddie is a candidate to join them as well. Uh, shout out to the Lakers. You're useless sports by Start of the night. Uh, they did in their most recent outing against New Orleans have all five of their starters scored 20 plus, which is the first time that's happened since 1993. Uh, there's a useless nugget for you to bring up at the dinner table tonight. The Utah Jazz they're the last of the locked-in play-in teams at the moment. They're sitting 10th. They're weird. I don't really know why that Kelly O'Linick went to Toronto. I feel like there were other teams that probably could have gone after him and it would have helped their runner to chip a bit more. But the Raptors were the ones that got him. So Utah's not complaining too much. They didn't really net a lot that I like. They got a protest- protected first out of it. And the similar could be said with the Fontecchio trade. They didn't really get a ton of reserve- a ton of assets, but... I like a lot of their young dudes. I love Keontae George. Uh, I think that they'll be a team that will probably be in this play-in game mix. It's just a matter of kind of where they finally fall because they're uber competitive on a nightly basis. Golden State Warriors. I can get why this group felt like they didn't need to blow it up. Uh, I know that they have Steph Curry and everyone saying that, you know, if you have a healthy Steph, you can't waste the last of his prime. And while he's still banging threes for fun, you'd need to make some tools, uh, some tweaks and changes to their roster. But... They've been through some shit. Like the whole Draymond Green issue, Chris Paul got banged up and he's been out for probably a month now. Their fucking assistant coach died at a team dinner. So they're only one game below 500. And I think if they can at least get into the play in conversation, they'll believe that they can make a run. So I wouldn't be shocked if we look up in a month's time, March-ish, maybe even late March, early April, and they're sitting in the seven to eight range because as long as their dudes are healthy, they're going to believe they're capable of making a run. Houston Rockets were largely uneventful. One of the few teams to literally do nothing. I know that at the start of February, they did trade for Stephen Adams and that might help them next year. Maybe they've got Stephen Adams so that they can facilitate some other moves, but they're locked in as a bottom 10 team. And I think another draft pick for them, I actually have no idea if they even control their own draft pick this year, but I do like... The core that they have, I think that natural growth and progression will come. We saw them get off to a a flyer to start the year. So I can see why Houston stood pat at the deadline. The Memphis Grizzlies, they made a couple of moves. Obviously, they aren't going to do much with Jamarant Morant out for the rest of the year and Desmond Bain injured as well. But they got Utah Wantanabe, They got Chemezi Metu. Gives them bench depth. But they did lose guys like David Roddy and Xavier Tillman. So I know which two out of those pairings I would prefer to keep. And it wasn't the one that Memphis currently have. So whatever, the draft pick that they get this year will be a bonus. Let's just uh, turn the page on the Memphis Grizzlies. The Portland Trailblazers, the second last team in the Western Conference, they opted to keep all of their bits and pieces. Brogdon was maybe a trade ship, but they elected to hold on to him. Rob Williams got hurt, otherwise he might've got dealt as well. DeAndre Ayton doesn't seem to be having the greatest time in Portland. Jeremy Grant had 49 the night that the trade deadline hit. So I think all four of those guys are nice veterans to have. And it was probably a smart move for Portland to keep some of them around. So they're not a complete basket case of a franchise. But yeah, with Shade on Sharp hurt, I can see how Brogdon will help kind of keep them on the straightened arrow for the rest of this season. And they're a rebuilding team. So I can see why they didn't go out there unless they were going to get a mother load offer for some of these dudes and a couple of firsts, which obviously did not happen. Uh, it was a good idea for the San Antonio Spurs, the last team, to get Doug McDermott out of there even if it was for a bag of twisties. I mean, I'm surprised Devontae Graham didn't follow. Uh, He's a shooter that can help. Mm, I was going to say a contending team, but I don't know if Indiana fit that brief, but regardless, they kind of stood still and didn't do a lot either. So there's a little bit of a bite on all 30 NBA teams. I'm sure I'll check back in with them maybe post uh, all-star break or maybe as the playoffs start to round a form and we look at the playoff seedings that matter. Uh, Just quickly before I talk Super Bowl, I did release an article looking at all the awards races as well on Thursday, Arvo, uh, on the Sports by Fright website. I will chuck the link to it in the uh, podcast show notes, but essentially what I was looking at for all seven major awards, are any of them still up for grabs? You know, you look at Defensive Player of the Year, I think Rudy Gobert is going to win that. Unless he gets hurt, that's probably not changing. Most Improved Player, while someone like Kobe White might deserve it more, I think Tyrese Maxey is a shoe in to win that as well. So there are a couple of awards that are highlighted as the ones who are still open. Six Man of the Year is always tricky Tim Hardaway Jr. is the favorite at the moment, but he has started 10 games and he's averaged 23 points in those 10 games. Now that they've added Washington and Gafford and it may be a healthy Kyrie. I wonder if Hardaway Jr.'s points per game numbers stay at that impressive mark. I would love to see someone like Norman Powell or Malik Monk from the Kings win that uh, clutch player of the year award. You can kind of throw a dart at most of the league stars. I said that I think Steph Curry should win it mainly because the Golden State Warriors aren't uh, a 10-win team right now because of him. So feels fitting if he uh, finishes his career with at least one of those trophies. Uh, the Rookie of the Year, Wemby's probably going to win that. Let's be honest. Chet deserves to be in the conversation, but nah. Uh, Mark Dagnolte of the Thunder is the favourite for the Coach of the Year at the moment. And I think he will win it purely based on the growth that they've shown. We all expected the Thunder to take a leap and maybe be a top six team out West, but we did not expect them to be the number one seed. And they're on pace to win 16 games more than the previous year, which is obviously the biggest uh, factor when it looks at the coach of the year. You look at the record the year before as a bit of a uh, landing uh, platform to kind of decipher whether they're a serious candidate or not. So I think Dagnott will win that. And then you look at the MVP and we look at Nikola Jokic and he's averaging 26, 12 and nine. He's on one of the best teams in the league. He's the reigning finals MVP. He's won two MVPs already. He deserves to have a third. But there are some other contenders. I highlighted Kawhi and I've highlighted SGA previously. And I think that Shea is the biggest threat to Jokic's award. And if the Thunder can maintain their winning ways, let's say that they finish four or five games clear of the Denver Nuggets and they're the number one seed out West. That might be enough, honestly, to swing some votes his way. So the MVP is the one that I'll be looking at very, very closely monitoring uh, Denver and OKC's spot in the standings. But that's a little bit of a look at how I think the uh, award races are shaping out with uh, 50 games of the NBA season in the books. All right, let's talk Super Bowl. Uh, I won't make this long because I know the Sportsby listeners' time is valuable. But in a nutshell, I think you can't pick against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs at the moment. Shout out to the Niners. I think they have been the best team from the start of the year to now, and they deserve the title of favorites heading into this game. But Ever since about Christmas, when the Chiefs were spluttering, it seems like they've kind of reinvented the wheel somewhat and doing that has helped them surge to another Super Bowl. And I think when it gets to this pointy end of the season, we have one game left. I'm just going to pick the best player in the league. One of the best quarterbacks ever who has achieved a hell of a lot in his first seven seasons to win a third championship. I'm predicting the score to be something like 24-20 Chiefs Niners, but There are a couple of other punts, like I said, that I enjoy uh, having a look at. So Travis Kelsey to score a touchdown, is $2.12 when I put a punt on it. I think there are a couple of other uh, players on Kansas City that are capable of getting into the end zone, but I'll be very, very surprised if Kelsey doesn't end up claiming at least one touchdown. Uh, I then put a punt on the correct score as well. The other tight end of the Chiefs who I don't hate the looks of is Noah Gray. Now I did get on him for first touchdown at 51 to one. But he's paying 10 bucks to score a touchdown. I think, you know, he does the little bit of uh, misdirection. They're lining up from two yards out. Travis Kelsey and all the defense goes left. And then Mahomes steps back, throws it to the right, and Noah Gray catches it unabated. So I think that Noah Gray can score a touchdown as well. I do love the bet of any player to score two touchdowns, something that's happened in previous Super Bowls quite a bit. I think Christian McCaffrey is a very viable candidate to get to the end zone multiple times. You also look at someone like Travis Kelsey, uh, a couple of other bits and pieces of the Niners offense intrigue me. Maybe they decide to go to Debo Samuel a lot, and then he ends up being the guy who scores multiple times. And the last bet that I put on something a bit fun, you know, it's always going to be tails for the coin toss. Tails never fails, right? So... Chiefs win the last, actually, now that I'm looking through, I did have one other cheeky multi. I got the Chiefs money line, Paddy Mahomes to throw two touchdowns. And then to have the under passing yards. I think while the Chiefs will put up some points, I don't think Mahomes is going to have a day out. He hasn't thrown over 250 yards in his playoff games yet. So I think betting his under of 262 passing yards is another lock. And those are my picks for Super Bowl 58. That's all I've got for you. Another be pod in the books. As I said, I'll be back next week, maybe recapping a couple of bits and pieces from Match Sim, uh, AFL Fantasy-wise. I do have my last Deck of DT article coming out as well on Valentine's Day, looking at a very expensive, tall Western Bulldogs Ruckman. So you can check that out. And then again, on Sunday, on the Twitter spaces, I will be popping on with Bales and Tim to talk all things AFL fantasy rookies. So make sure you check that one out. I appreciate you listening to this episode and I will catch you next time.